Welcome to the sermon podcast of Gamble Street Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Gamble Street Baptist Church has been sharing the gospel for over 100 years. This podcast includes sermons from our traditional Sunday morning service and our contemporary services on Sunday evenings. We hope God speaks to you through this sermon. Good afternoon, everyone. So, last week, as we continue through Ephesians, Joel took us through the beginning of Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church. To recap it, though, verses 17 through 23 are all likely a prayer for the Ephesians, asking that the Father would give the Ephesians a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they may have their hearts enlightened to show, to know the wisdom of to know the hope of their calling, the riches of God's glorious inheritance, and the surpassing power of him towards believers. So verses 19 through 23 all focus on this third element of this prayer, the power of God, described as Joel liked to say, the powerful power of his power demonstrated in his power. (laughs) What's being shown there, though, is that Paul is using a whole bunch of different words in Greek for power, likely just to pile on all of these different uh, similar words to emphasize that this power that God is showing throughout the rest of the passage is insurmountable, surpassing power that we can't quite comprehend. So from there, uh, Paul turns and describes what this power is demonstrated as towards those who believe namely in Christ's resurrection and his exaltation into his proper place among, uh, among the Father and the heavenlies. And then Paul finishes by relating all of this to the church and how God's chosen people are chosen to be the temple of Christ in this age and how we exercise a degree of that authority of Christ in the time before his coming. But each verse... Uh, goes into a different element of this power or introduces it like verse 19 in Christ's resurrection and exaltation. So let's go there. Uh, Verse 19, like I said, introduces this powerful power as uh, Paul puts it. Many different, like I said, many different words indicating that surpassing power. Important to notice, though, is that In the second half of this, it is power directed towards those who believe. So there is a distinct advantage there in our identity with Christ of this power being demonstrated towards us or for us in some degree. More on that later. Verse 20 um, goes into how this power is demonstrated. This power is namely demonstrated in that Christ was raised from the dead by God and then was seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies. So, first of this section is the resurrection, which isn't focused on nearly as much as Christ's exaltation in Ephesians, but we would be remiss to forget that the resurrection is the cornerstone of the entire Christian faith. Christ was crucified, buried, and raised on the third day, and that is the basis for the atonement, That is the basis for our salvation. That is the basis of, as we're about to see, a lot of the power and authority given to him 
is his special place as Messiah and as the one who is resurrected. So let's not forget that (laughs) the resurrection is quite important to the Christian faith. But the rest of the verse is dealing with Christ being seated at the right hand of God in the heavenlies. I feel like this concept of a place of honor is not entirely lost to our culture. We have this idea when we think about it of, you know, your throne room, and then there's the person that's very important, you know, the queen or the prince, whatever you have, being sat next to them. And in my life, whenever we go to family holidays, I don't know if this is true for any of y'all, my grandfather will sit at the head of the table, and then on his right is my grandmother. And then on his left is actually their eldest son, which is something I forgot about when I was writing this, but realized when I was running through it. But that, I think, is probably intentional and is showing that my grandfather, as the eldest, most important authority in the family at the time, is being given that place of power and his wife is to his right, his, uh, in that place of honor. So while this may not be practiced by everyone, I think it's still present as an idea, and Christ is being given this place of honor to the right of the Father. Um, the NET Bible's footnotes says that um, the, the person to the right is also sometimes referred to as like the vice regent of the person in authority. So that person carries a delegated amount of authority of the regent in his position in honor. So there's that concept there in Christ's exaltation as being given this place of honor after his resurrection and ascension. Uh, Moving on, so to exalt someone, I'm using that word a lot, to exalt someone is, is to elevate them above others. So Paul's prayer um, is focusing here on Christ's exaltation and elevation above all other authorities, all other powers. As it says, he is far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Um, It's interesting here that Paul's prayer becomes almost more worshipful than prayerful here. He seems to slip into this worshipful tone as he's recognizing this element of Christ as he is supposed to be. Christ is no longer, he is no longer taken on flesh in the, same, in the same way. He's still enfleshed, but Christ is now exalted in this proper place as God, as deity at the right hand of the Father. This is, I think, probably a less clear but still present um, deity passage for Christ because only God is worthy of such worship and praise as is being given in the passage here. Only God could be worthy of this type of exaltation. So, furthermore, this exaltation is eternal. Um, It is in this present age and the one to come. So there's this element throughout all of this passage, actually, of this already and not yet sense where we have Christ's resurrection is, has already happened, and the benefits of that are already seen, the atonement, the, our ability to enter into the church, etc. But there's still a second coming. So there's an already sense of 
Christ has already been raised, but there's this future sense of not yet, and that there's a second coming, there's a new heavens and new earth, there's all of these expectations that are still to be had about Christ. Um, and there's much about this that's still there. Um, Christ has conquered sin and death in his resurrection, but we still feel the effects of that now. And there's this sense that we will not, in the future, in the new heavens and new earth, where there, every tear will be, will, will be wiped away, etc. So keep that in mind that there's this already and not yet sense to all of this passage. So in the second part of verse 22, we get to a more difficult section because what does it mean for Christ exalted, uh, given all of this authority, to be given uh, to the church? And I spent a lot of time trying to figure that out and the, to put a disclaimer and to cite my sources, Abraham Cruavilla's commentary on Ephesians is where I got most of this, but I used other places as well. That's just to avoid any plagiarism issues. Anyways, so there's a connection made by some commentators that God's possession of the church, illustrated earlier in Ephesians 1, is tied very closely, almost to the point of being synonymous, to Christ's headship of the church, described in verse 22. So um, we are the possession of God, right? And in so being, we are headed by Christ. There's this linguistic connection there that is, that is made. As he is given to the church, then they understand it to be this idea that all of that authority and power that Christ has been given is directed to the benefit of the church, which is his body, which is his bride. Um, so whatever, he, whatever power and authority he has is turned as his head into a lesser extent, of course, our authority and power in this present age. There's that already and not yet. Christ is going to come back. But in the interim, we've been given this power and authority by our head, um, who is Christ, to uh, serve the church, to evangelize, to perform whatever miracles might, we might be able to perform, as Dr. Spivey said this morning. So there's this interim period where Christ is being given to the church that is him working to our benefit. So in verse 23, though, there's this interesting issue of alliteration. Um, Verse 23 on its face doesn't make much sense. Uh, the words are not very clear, and it's a very difficult passage to figure out what's going on. But commentators have pointed out that there's a lot of alliteration in the Greek there, um, which could mean that Paul is not trying to be precise in his language. Paul is instead trying to make a rhetorical point in repeating all of these sounds and trying to make something perhaps more memorable or just being rhetorical as Paul sometimes does. 
this would mean that we could probably take um, a little bit more liberty, cautiously, <laughs> in interpreting this a little looser than the words themselves indicate. Not fully, of course. But you can make a connection, and some people have, between the fullness of Christ, fullness of God, dwelling within the church, um, and the Shekinah glory showed in the Old Testament with the Spirit of God resting on the temple. Uh, if you look in the Septuagint, the word used there for fullness is not directly used in the Old Testament, but is cognates and similar words of it are used to describe situations where the glory of God dwelt among the temple. So the ecclesial connection here is pretty easy to make. We are the temple in the age of the church that is the seating place of God's glory. And this whole passage is Christological. So Christ is our head. Christ is the, full, the fullness of Christ is dwelling with us in some mysterious way. We know that is at least partially through the Spirit, but there's an interaction Trinitarianly there that's hard to bring out. But the fullness of Christ dwells with the church in the way that the Spirit of God dwelt with the temple. So that's the connection I think that is trying to be made there is this idea of fullness of Christ dwelling all in all being specifically with the church. Um, there's also a bit of the omnipresence idea there where all in all means outside of the church as well. Christ is omnipresent, which is another divinity type of indication, but he obviously has a special presence within the church. I think that is at least fairly clear. Anyways, to recap verse 22 and 23, Christ fills all and especially fills the church which he heads as his body and bends his power and authority shown in verses 19 and so on to our benefit as his body and bride. And then we as the church, through that authority of Christ, demonstrate a delegation of that in the interim before his return. Anyways, we started all of this sermon um, reflecting on the power of God in this, all of the things we just talked about. This power is demonstrated through Christ's resurrection and exaltation, but how does this fit with our theme of identity for this whole sermon series? I would say that what we can pull from that is that our identity is fully in Christ. He has chosen us, predestined us, glorified us, and as you'll see in chapter 2, raised us in our, from our sins and trespasses. So all of this is Christ's work and because of Christ's work. We are the people of Christ in that we are little Christians, right? Or little Christs, that's what Christians mean. Um, we are also delegated recipients as those who believe of Christ's headship and authority, um, and that we are a set-apart people. For those who believe, Paul is urging, or as those who believe, Paul is urging the Ephesian church to recognize and know the power 
of God in this, in that he resurrected Christ and exalted him. Well, in chapter 2, what we'll see next week, I don't know who's preaching, but they will probably point out that that power in raising Christ from the dead and exalting him is the same type of power that is used when God raises us in Christ from being dead in our trespasses. That's the opening of chapter 2. So Paul is wishing for the Ephesians to recognize that this is the power of God that saved them from their sin and death. It's a similar type of power that God used to raise Christ. And we, we see that again in the future and that, that God will resurrect those in the church to new life in the new heavens and new earth. So I think that ties it all together in that our identity still is being placed through what Christ has done and that our status as the chosen people of God, that we will receive eternal life upon Christ's return via the power that God showed in raising Christ. So let's be encouraged <laughs> as we go on throughout our days that Christ has chosen us, if we believe, as the church. And we need to walk in that identity as saved people, as representatives of him and his authority, and do our best to share what we know to be our salvation and our hope with a broken world. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gambrel Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.